Well, good morning, New Life Manitou Springs. How are we? Are we good? Yeah, keep going. Um, <laughs> thank you. I'm glad you're good. I'm glad you're good. Uh, it's so good to be with you guys today. My name's Brett. I am a pastor with uh, New Life Church. We are eight congregations in six different locations, speaking three different languages, and you've wandered into the Manitou Springs congregation today. So it's really good to see you guys. If you're joining us online, I think it's this one. Uh, we are glad that you're with us today. Um, so uh, we are continuing today in our series. We've been talking about God for a little while this year. Um, seems right. We're in church. Yeah, let's talk about God. Um, we uh, more... Particularly, we're talking about who God is. The, the series is actually named, Who is God? We're trying to explore what can we say with confidence about what God is like. And so we're in the third leg of this series right now where we're exploring maybe the most mysterious way that God meets us. Um, God is spirit. Like, he's here in this place. And I was not aware of it, <laughs> it's the, is the truth be told, you know? Like, God is here in this place, and God is always immediately interacting with us. Uh, the Nicene Creed is uh, our statement of faith as New Life Church, um, and um, we just, it's 1,800 years old, it's aged very well, and so that's what we believe as Christians. And the, the creed actually puts it this way, it says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets, is what the creed says right there. This morning, I want to home in on that last little phrase right there, like, God is mysteriously with us, and God is th the same God who met the prophets and spoke to the prophets and through the prophets, and he's still doing that. What does it mean that God is, like, prof what does prophecy mean? <laughs> what does it mean that we have a, that we confess that God is active in the world and prophesying? And so today, the game plan is, I want to read a tiny little section of um, the last document that composes our New Testament, what we call the book of Revelation. I want to read just a tiny little section from there, and then I want to think about three different kinds of time travel. Um, and that is actually going to help us get at what do we mean by prophecy, and actually what does this mean? A God, a spirit who prophesies in the world, what does that mean for my life? What kind of good news does that give me today? So, Revelation, three, times of, three kinds of time travel, and then we'll come to the table. Does that sound like a plan? Yeah? Okay, well, that's the plan regardless, so we're going we're gonna to do it. Uh, Revelation 19, start, uh, starting in verse... 10 and ending in verse 10. Um, John is coming to the end of this vision and he says, then I fell down at his feet. The feet of, it's an angel actually. Uh, I fell down at his feet to worship him. But the angel said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the martyria, 
of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus, the witness of Jesus. For the martyria of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, Jesus, we don't know what this means most of the time. And uh, we confess that we uh, don't hear from you nearly as much or as clearly as we would like. And so um, we ask this morning in this place that you would come and speak. Uh, This is all just like the biggest, weirdest waste of time unless you are living, unless you are alive, and unless you are encountering us in this moment. And so uh, I join my brothers and sisters in saying, come, Holy Spirit. Right now, just in your own way, pray that the Spirit would meet us and speak resurrection hope and gospel to us right now. Come, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you do speak, and you are speaking, and you will speak this morning. And so, come and speak, because your children are listening. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the Bible. Can we name that? There's a, the Bible, I've been studying the Bible really, really like in, in depth for uh, about 20 years now, which is really weird to, to think. Um, but there's a lot of crazy stuff in the Bible. There is a lot of crazy stuff at the end of the Bible. In the book of Revelation, there have been dragons and demon locusts at this point, And there's been a seven-eyed lamb, with, uh, which I assume is very difficult to buy, like, glasses for a seven-eyed lamb. That would be like a big bummer to be myopic and have seven eyes. I have custom frames for you every time. And then there's uh, this moment where the sun goes black as hairy sackcloth in Revelation. I like that part, hairy sackcloth. Um, John of Patmos, at the end of the scripture, has crafted this unbelievably complex and sophisticated document. But here as the document ends, what we just read, it winds down to a very simple statement. Like, there is a lot of complexity in the Bible. And this is actually not very complicated. This is a very simple statement. He says that the testimony of Jesus, the witness of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He uses the word, I untranslated it here on our screens, marturia is what he says. It's the the root from which we get the word martyr, which literally just means witness is all it means. Like in in a trial, uh, we hear, the jury hears from the witness, from the mar- he, he, the jury would hear the martyria from the martis, the, the witness from the witness. That's, uh, that, that's what the word is. The witness of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's what we're trying to name right here. It's the exact same kind of sentence that says, Dr. Pepper is... A soda. 
That's the kind of sentence this is, a simple sentence. It's a definition sentence. Somebody walks into a grocery store and says, hey, where's your doctor? I've worked in a grocery store before. Don't come in raising your voice like that. Like, Where, where's your Dr. Pepper? <laughs> uh, well, Dr. Pepper is a, um, is a soda. And so uh, that would mean it's on the soda aisle. Is no, no trick here. Great, great, okay. And while I'm here, I'm hoping to pick up some prophecy while I'm here. Where is that? Prophecy, uh, no problem. Uh, prophecy happens to be uh, the witness of Jesus is what it is. So uh, that's the spirit of prophecy. So you're looking for the Jesus aisle is what you're looking for when you're looking for prophecy. It, that's the kind of sentence this is. There's a lot complicated in the book of Revelation. This sentence isn't part of it. The most important thing that we could like, inviting, I guess, us this morning to maybe redefine or rethink through our muscle memory on what prophecy is, the most important thing we could say about prophecy, the like animating wind blowing its sails, the, 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 the divine breath speaking through this, is that it is the witness of Jesus. John has actually, in Revelation, he has used the martyr root. He's used it 19 times. And the way he uses this word is actually why we think of martyr, which just means witness. What do we instantly think of martyr as? Somebody who dies, right? And that's because we actually think that way about this Greek word because of the book of Revelation. Every witness in the book of Revelation is somebody so in love with truth, with truth that they are willing to die for it. And somehow, some way, John is saying that when we witness Jesus, when we see Jesus, when we read about him, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when we're reading the story of Jesus, especially in his love that is willing to die, out for the good of another. We are seeing actually the true heart of prophecy is what we're, which is really weird because I grew up in church and the way that we talked about prophecy in church and the way, like all of what I kind of gathered from it, I would have sworn that any kind of definition of prophecy really needs to have time somewhere in there, doesn't it? Like, that's what prophecy's about. It's about, like, some sort of, like, time. Like, you're looking into the future or, or something. There's time travel, something going on. In pro so let's talk about time machines for a second because I don't know of a better way to talk. Time can get, like, really esoteric and philosophical really quickly. The most fun way to talk about time is with time machines, right? So let's see if this helps us get any clearer. The... Uh, this is the first time machine I want to talk about. The first of three. This is how back in my day, they used to build time machines out of novelty cars. That is what they did with time machines. Not hot tubs. Not magical necklaces. Not DeLoreans. That's what a time machine is. 
I just love it. Christopher Lloyd and Michael. They are, those are some fine movies right there. 1.21 gigawatts. 1.21. Great Scott. If I give me, you're my density. That's, I mean, you just get me started and I'm just going to keep going. If you've never seen Back to the Future, by the way, spoiler alert, it is, uh, you can go, the, the car takes you forward or backward in time and you can really mess things up really quickly. There, I just saved you. But you should see it. It's an amazing movie. Um, it's, <laughs> uh, the plot of the second Back to the Future movie involves Michael J. Fox going to the future and what does he bring back from the future? He buys the... Sport, the, the almanac, the sports almanac, of course. And so suddenly he has got this book, if you haven't seen it. It's like, it looks like a you know, thin magazine, thick almanac-y kind of thing. And it's got the sports scores from the year 1950 to the year 2000. And so he's actually got sports scores for games that haven't been played yet. Like all the winning scores. And so it's like, who's going to win the Super Bowl next year? Let's see. Take a look right here. Ah, uh, oh crap. It's the Patriots again. Like that's, the, that's the kind of thing that we've got in Back to the Future too. And this is the kind of thing. I don't think I'm wrong about this. When we hear prophecy, most of the time, this is what we think about. We think that God gave future sight foresight, you know, farsight, something to some people way back there in the past. And then they wrote it down in like an almanac kind of thing. And you can kind of see the future written right there. Let's name it that we tend to think of prophecy as reading the history of the future, right? This is, I'm not making things up up here. This is the way we tend to think of prophecy. And I'm not saying that this doesn't happen. I, I do think that a lot of Christian leaders overplay this. Uh, but there are a few times that the prophets of Israel in the late Iron Age did write some stuff down that was coming in the future. Like the prophet Micah got it right. He said that the king, the Messiah, the leader Israel has been waiting on is going to uh, come uh, from Bethlehem. He got it right. The prophet Jeremiah says, hey, that temple that Solomon built, it's going to be destroyed. He got it right. Jesus was a prophet, if you didn't know. He got it right that, hey, they rebuilt that temple, it's going to be destroyed again. That thing's going to, like, it's coming really quickly within one generation. This temple that's been rebuilt and renovated by Herod, it's going to be destroyed as well. We don't exactly know how these predictions happened. I don't know exactly how they, like, did they happen in a dream? Did they happen in like a vision? Was it just some sort of like inexplicable clarity that they had about how things are going to unfold in the future? I don't know. But I want to say this. Prophecy is not primarily about figuring out the future. Prophecy is not even primarily about time. That's why we're not including it in the definition. Someone who is just like obsessed with the future, like, oh, I need to know what's going to happen in the future. Like, that is a, that's a fortune teller. <laughs> what that is. That's like Nostradamus is what that is. That, that's not even a distinctly Christian category. It's just like people are sometimes very interested in looking into the future. The biblical prophets 
they sometimes do have insight into the future, but predicting the future is actually like the least interesting part of the prophets. It's the least interesting part of them. Prophecy is more than skipping ahead, if we want to say it that way, like skipping ahead in mere history. Prophecy involves like getting behind history. And that actually brings us to our second form of time travel, a time machine that we could talk about. And it's actually one that you may have in your hand at the moment or in your pocket or in your purse. I've got mine right here. We have an amazing time machine that's actually built in right here. It is something that most of human history has not had. That you can, there's a video camera in this thing. And so like you can film something and then 20 or 30 years later, you can look on a screen into the past. It's amazing. Like, I'm not pulling it. Like, it's amazing. This is actually one of our favorite things to do is to watch the past. We watch movies. That's what we do. We watch movies that were filmed at a particular location with particular people and particular actors that were a particular age. And then when you come back and you revisit the movie like 10 years later, you're like, whoa, why does Harrison Ford look so young? (laughs) If you haven't had this occurrence yet, it's coming for you. Like, these actors are all getting younger. No, hate to tell you. It's it's actually you, Brett. Um, You're getting older. I, um, I bring up this form of time machine because I think it can give us a really good example of there is a world of difference between knowing the plot of a movie versus knowing the meaning of a movie. Like, imagine your friend. You have a friend. I'm feeling generous today. In this example, you have one friend. You have a friend, and they have a favorite movie. They watch this movie every single week since it was released. It's very strange. They have a copy of it on DVD. They are not very tech savvy. It is well-worn. They love The Sixth Sense. That is their favorite movie. They know the plot of The Sixth Sense forward and backwards. They know what comes next and what, like, that conversation leads to them saying this thing. They know the scene. They know the beats of the story. They know Every single line, it's actually really annoying. I'm sorry, your friend is annoying. Watching the movie, I see dead people. It's like, shut up, I'm just watching this movie. Because you're watching this with your friend and you have only seen The Sixth Sense. I'm assuming everybody in here has seen it. I don't, uh, I'm sorry if you haven't, you bear with me. Like, you're watching this and you've only seen this movie one time in the theater years ago, you, you, know, you don't know really what's flowing into the next scene. You don't really remember much about the movie at all. All you remember is that Bruce Willis has been dead most of the movie. <laughs> That's the, spoiler alert, I'm sorry, there's a statute of limitations. If it's like almost 30, like 25 years old, like sorry. Uh, you just remember this moment at the end of the movie that Bruce Willis is dead. That's all you remember. And so you have your friend and you sitting down to watch this movie. One of you, oh, and I should say this, your friend really should get up to date with streaming and not watch his DVD because his DVD is scratched. And he's never seen the last five minutes of The Sixth Sense. 
This person knows every beat, every line, how every scene goes into every other scene, knows every bit of dialogue. But, and you don't remember any of that, you just remember the last five minutes. Now, as you're watching and sitting down to watch this movie, which one of you is in a better position to understand the meaning of the movie as you're watching it? It's, there's a big difference between knowing every single moment of the plot and understanding what those moments of the plot are actually about. Actually about. Which one of you is going to understand the movie more? We could say it this way. Historians want to know the past plot of the story. Fortune tellers are interested in knowing the future plot. Like, just tell me the stuff that's going to happen. Tell me what's coming down the road. I want to know the plot of the story. Prophets want to know the author. That's what distinguishes biblical prophecy from anything else, is they want to know the... After the sixth sense, we all got really curious about M. Night Shyamalan. We, we want to know everything about him, including how to say his name. Like, am I the only one who's like, I don't know how to say his name. Over the next few years, we learned that this guy likes to tell stories in a particular way. If you watched afterwards, you watched Unbreakable or Signs or The Village, you started realizing, oh, I know something about the author now. This is the kind of story that this author tells. Huh. He likes to build a story around a twist ending. Okay, I see. See how this, this is what the earliest Christians were doing when they read Israel's prophets. They were saying, they were, it was more than like looking for, oh, did they predict something in the future? And they were trying to say, oh, this is what kind of story we are living in. He likes God likes to build a story around rescuing us. This is what's always happening. If you, this is just a side note because if any of, has anyone ever tried to read the New Testament? Raise a show of hands really quickly. Yeah, oh, we all have. And so you've probably read Matthew 2, where Matthew 2 says, and he rose. This is great, like, just after Christmas story, Joseph rose and took the child and his mother, Mary, by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill. Oh, here, here it comes, the prophecy. Here, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. The really tricky thing about this is he's quoting Hosea right here, but Hosea wasn't talking about the future. Hosea is not talking about the future when he talks. Hosea is actually talking about the past. Like, this is actually from Hosea right here. When Israel was a child, and so this is like a picture, a word image sort of here. Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son, like with Moses and Ten Commandments and all that. And they, the more they were called, the more they went away. Golden calf kind of stuff. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. So 
Hosea, prophet, he's not looking forward when he's talking, saying this sort of thing. He's actually looking backward. He's not describing the future. He's actually describing the past. But for Hosea and Matthew, it's not a question about time. It's not a question about past or future. The question is, what is the author like? What is God like? And then Matthew apparently has been so dazzled by the events of Jesus. This man was dead and this man is alive and this man has ascended into heaven and this man is God that Matthew is like trying to like help his readers rewatch the movie. Rewatch the movie and understand what the author is like. He's saying, now watch this part. Watch this part. This part, God calls his son, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Yeah, Moses, watch this, watch this. Did you see it? Did you see it? Now look, the child Jesus is being whisked away into Egypt. And now Jesus is coming out of Egypt. And you, you, you don't get it? Well, no matter what way you slice the story, God is invading Egypt to come and rescue people. That's what God's always, God is coming to the place where we are in bondage, where we are in chains, in danger, in hopelessness. God did it way back then with Israel. Yeah, 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 but get this, God's still doing it. This is what the author is like. God is always retracing our steps. And where did Brett go wrong? And man, Brett has just wandered off right now, following me into danger and into death and into rebellion and into sadness and anger and despair. And he's coming to rescue me. That's what the author is like. And how do we know this? The witness of Jesus it's the way. Hosea said, out of Egypt, I called my son. Well, that's about the past, bro. No, it is about what God is always like, bro. Like, that's, that's what the author is always, that's what he's like. This is a story that he loves telling. Even he's always interested in rescuing us, even when it means that he has to go into Egypt himself. Suddenly, the story of Jesus, it becomes like something way bigger than just time. It's not about the story back then. It is about the author right now. This is the kind of story that he's always telling. This is the, the kind of thing that he always does. And that actually brings us to the final form of time travel. It is the oldest thing in the room right now. It is the last time machine. Uh, when I was in Georgia a couple of weekends ago, uh, I was going for my grandmother's funeral and I uh, found this in an old uh, suitcase. It's amazing. It is an obviously old bit of parchment, that the sort of thing you'd find under glass usually, and it's got cursive chicken scratch on it that, uh, <laughs> that our dear uh, Ken uh, deciphered. <laughs> so Ken, let's give it up for Ken in the back. He deciphered what this is. This is actually a, a contract is what this is. It is a land contract um, from the year 18, 1846. 1846 is where this is from. The person who wrote it is dead. 
the person that they showed it to. Apparently, it was important at some point. They are dead. The person, like, they're all gone. And now I'm holding it, and you can come touch it or whatever if you want to. I don't know. what, it, but It's a weird thing, isn't it? You can come see it afterwards, but it doesn't really mean much to any of us. It's just some cool handwriting from the past. And now it just exists in a world of satellites and smartphones and space stations. And, you know, it's, but it's just basically a relic of something way earlier in the human story. What would be really cool and what would be super creepy is uh, that handwriting. I was looking in my journal from a few years ago and I realized that that exact same handwriting. No, I'm just kidding. It's not in here. <laughs> but that, but, but, yeah, I gotcha. That would be the moment that it would be really cool is if somehow we had like a handwriting match. If suddenly you find that like the same person who wrote that thing back there is actually capable of still writing today. The most interesting thing about prophecy is the fact that it is not interested in, the t in time or the particulars of the future. The most interesting thing about prophecy is that the author is still writing. That's the, the one who spoke through the prophets is still doing, still living. The same eternal love that animated the prophets is still chasing us into Egypt and rescuing us. We, you can still prophesy today. And that prophecy looks like evoking the witness of Jesus. I want to tell you the most prophetic thing that anybody could say to you. I do believe it's the most prophetic thing anybody could say to you. And it is this, as we come to the table. Jesus declares, this is the witness of Jesus. Jesus declares your story as his. Jesus declares his story as yours. That's the witness of Jesus. That's all the church has. The, the most prophetic thing. You want to be prophetic out there in this culture? You want to do something that the world desperately needs? We'll tell you what the most prophetic thing you could speak into anybody's life. It is to say that Jesus loves them. That is the most prophetic thing that you could say, that Jesus claims them. That though they are your enemy even, Jesus adopts them. Jesus says, your story is my story. Out of Egypt, I am calling you. Was that for Israel back then? Yes, it was. Wait, was that about Jesus? Yes, it was. Wait, is that about me? Out of Egypt, he's called my... Yes. Now you're getting it. It's about the author, about what the author's always doing, what he's always still writing in our lives. I need to tell you by the witness of Jesus with the, the history of the church marshaled behind me that God is infinitely interested in your life. He's in your scars, your wounds, your trauma, Somehow, God has experienced all of that too. You are not alone. You never have been and you never will be. Your missteps and your mistakes and your shame, God claims all of that too. 
He says, I want you. And so I'll take all of that too. And God embraces all of that because God embraces you. He even embraces the worst of us. Like even our sin, even our hatred, even our evil. God embraces even that part of us and receives the wages of sin into himself. God embraces us so deeply that it kills him. Our sin kills him. Whatever the Egypt is in your life, be it fear or addiction or loneliness or despair, the witness of Jesus says that you are loved so much right now in that before it's gotten better, God has chased you down into the Egypt of slavery and death and the son of God finds you in Egypt and out of Egypt he is calling you. That's the witness of Jesus. God himself has become one of us. And as Jesus goes, so go we all. Like if Jesus has experienced suffering or death, okay, I'm gonna, I guess that's somewhere in my future. If Jesus has experienced resurrection and new life and eternal joy, you will too. If Jesus is beloved by his father, so are you. Jesus like asks us to just trust him on this. Your story is mine and my story is yours. He's um, loving us and choosing us and sharing his life with us endlessly. And so when we speak about like prophecy, speaking prophecy into other people's lives, uh, this is the essence of what we're trying to talk about is um, we're not trying to predict the future with each other. You shouldn't be trying to do. That's not a great thing to do. Don't try to predict the future. We're not trying to see ahead in each other's stories. What we're trying to do is see behind each other's stories. What we're trying to do is, at bottom, help people stare at who the author is, what they're writing, stare at the witness of Jesus, and look into each other's eyes and say, hey, like, don't give up. Jesus' story is your story. Hey, you can keep going. You're not alone. Keep going. Hey, I know that thing was like awful and it was evil and they sinned that thing into you and it like killed you. And I'm just here to tell you that like God transforms Roman execution stakes into jewelry. Like he can transform your suffering and your death. You can keep going. I promise, I promise.